We look back at the issues facing the LGBT plus community over the course of 2020. First up, Kenya and next Thailand, and an interview with actor and filmmaker Clea Duval. And welcome to the podcast from Openly, the LGBT Plus news website from the Thompson Reuters Foundation. I'm Hugo Greenhalgh, LGBT Plus editor of the Foundation and overall editor of Openly, which you can find at openlynews.com. This week, we're starting to look back over the past 12 months, looking at those issues that have affected LGBT plus communities in countries around the world. We start the series today with a look at both Kenya and Thailand, asking our correspondents in the respective countries about how life has been for LGBT plus people in 2020, and what we here at Openly need to look at as we move into 2021. And we speak to actor and filmmaker Claire Duval about her film, Happier Season, starring Christian Stewart. Stay with us for the top LGBT plus news now. The news in 2020 out of East Africa has been dominated by the unfolding coronavirus crisis. Access to medical health care for people living with HIV has been disrupted and we've seen several instances of the LGBT plus community often being scapegoated for the virus. Within Uganda, the authorities have used coronavirus lockdowns as cover to further clamp down on LGBT plus people. Uh, we here at Openly have been contacted by numerous people who are looking to flee the country. I'm joined now by Nisa Bala, the Thompson Reuters Foundation correspondent based in Nairobi. Nisa, thanks as ever for joining us. Let's start with that central question. So what have been the major LGBT plus issues in Kenya and the surrounding countries this year? Well, Hugo, like other regions across the world, I mean, the main issue that has affected LGBT communities across Africa has been, of course, the impact of the coronavirus. I mean, we have seen how the pandemic has exposed the cracks in our societies and deepened vulnerabilities of marginalised communities. And I think the challenges faced by LGBT Africans is, is no exception. Um, you know, when the coronavirus hit, it didn't take long for the homophobic attitudes to come out and people began targeting LGBT communities, you know, some claiming that God was punishing the world for the sins of homosexuals. And um, But it didn't stop there. In Uganda, we saw LGBT youth being arrested and jailed um, for, for disobeying coronavirus restrictions, even though they had been at a shelter. While in Kenya, we saw gay men being harassed by police and accused of breaking curfew, even when the curfew time was not in, in place. Um, due to the lockdowns, we also saw many LGBT community members um, not being able to work and pay their rent. Some were evicted, forced to return to their families who had thrown them out in the first place. It's been a very traumatising time for them and many of them have reported mental health problems. The lockdowns also prevented LGBT people in Africa from being able to access HIV. 
Um, we saw them being forced off their treatment due to stay-at-home orders. Many people stay very far from the clinics and they be- intentionally because of the taboo and stigma attached to HIV and AIDS and so couldn't walk, you know, the 20 kilometres or 30 kilometres often um, to, to get to the clinics to collect their monthly treatments. Um, so it wa- it's been a very bad year for LGBT and it's largely been due to the pandemic. Yes, I was just going to ask about that in terms of to what extent things have got better or worse, but it sounds like things have got much worse for the LGBT plus community in in East Africa. Yes, I would agree. I don't think the dial has shifted much to the positive. It's, I would say it's to the negative. I think that coronavirus has set back LGBT rights in Africa. I mean, one of their biggest issues has always been the ability to work and earn an income. Um, but in many cases now people have lost their jobs and have been pushed into poverty. Um, there are no safety nets um, such as social welfare schemes like we have in, in, in the UK for, you know, like the furlough scheme. Uh, and so LGBT communities, even when there are these packages, they're rarely included. And so they do face an uphill struggle to survive. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that every, absolutely everything in 2020 was um, negative. We did have some very positive outcomes from Africa. In Sudan, which has a new transitional government in place after uh, the revolution toppled the 30-year rule of um, Omar al-Bashir last year, authorities lifted the death penalty and flogging as punishment for gay sex. Um, although punishment remains in terms of um, five years to life term, it's still seen as a really significant step in this you know, very strict Muslim country. And then on the other side of the continent in Gabon, um, authorities de- decriminalized consensual same-sex um, re- relations becoming one of the few countries in sub-Saharan Africa to have done so. I mean, previously in Gabon, people would be guilt. People found guilty would have to serve six months in jail and a fine of nine thousand dollars. So this decriminalisation has come at a very good time. Also, even in terms of the coronavirus, the way the, the LGBT communities have come together to support one another um, has been quite incredible. We've seen people um, crowdfunding um, distributions of food aid and even LGBT refugees manufacturing masks for members of the community who are less well off. So I do want to mention these positives as well. Okay, so some kind of rays of hope, as it were, there for the LGBT plus community, and also with a kind of vaccine, uh, perhaps almost on the on the horizon now. In terms of you know starting to be distributed now in the UK, for example, looking forward into twenty twenty one, what do you think are the issues we should be watching? I think the theme very much from Africa is going to be about the survival of the LGBT community. It's as basic as finding food, finding jobs for many people now. I mean, the rollout of vaccines in Africa is not really expected to happen speedily here, with analysts expecting vaccines won't reach Africa until 2022, with wealthier nations, you know, buying up all the stocks at the moment. Um, So I imagine 2021 um, will focus very much on LGBT communities' um, 
fight for survival in the aftermath of the pandemic. I mean, one LGBT activist uh, told me that for some people, the fight for rights has been put on the back burner as they focus on the right for the fight for survival. Um, I do think the LGBT communities here will also be looking to the new US administration to put on pressure on their countries to repeal anti-gay laws and fund more civil society groups which are helping um, sexual minorities. So we're hoping some positive foreign policy on LGBT will help impact the continent here. Okay, so certain things to watch there, some positives and some negatives as well. But uh, Nita, thanks as ever for joining us. And you can read more of our coverage on the issue on openly at openlynews.com now. Thailand this year has seen a wave of anti-government protests and LGBT plus people have been front and centre on the streets. We've also seen a civil partnership bill approved by the cabinet in July, but is yet to go through parliament, leading to some concerns from LGBT plus campaigners who are also wondering whether same-sex marriage will ever see the light of day. To discuss these moves, I'm joined now by Rina Chandran, Bangkok correspondent for the Thomson Reuters Foundation. Rina, thanks as ever for joining us. So let's start with that central question. What do you think have been the major LGBT plus issues in Thailand this year? So the main issue or the, the big win in Thailand this year was the um, civil partnership bill that was approved by the Thai cabinet in July. Um, but LGBT groups had hoped that it would be approved by parliament, which is the step before it becomes law. Um, unfortunately, that hasn't happened, um, so everyone is still waiting for the bill to be approved by Parliament. Um, the other big issue um, in the country really was the um, anti-government, is the anti-government protests that are still ongoing. Um, and for the first time, LGBT groups were front and center of these protests uh, because they say that um, LGBT rights are closely tied to a democratic government and a newly elected government and amendments in the constitution, um, which is what the protesters have been pushing for. Okay, so looking at those, I mean, do you think um, as a whole, has 2020 been positive or negative for the LGBT plus community in Thailand? I'd say in Thailand, LGBT groups have definitely uh, been more visible and gained uh, more positive um, feedback from people as well as just greater acceptance among people. Um, the fact that they're so uh, visible in the protests is, is a big move for LGBT groups which have not been a very, uh, a very visible part of protests before. Um, and of course the civil partnership bill, uh, while it has been delayed by years now, um, there is still hope, and, and while LGBT groups had been pushing for marriage equality rather than just civil partnership, um, the fact that it was approved by the cabinet is still a big gain for them. So, so net-net, um, definite gains this year. Just been chatting to our colleague Nita Bala, who's based in Nairobi in Kenya, and she was saying that one of the dominating factors for the LGBT plus community has been coronavirus this year, with seeing the LGBT plus community being scapegoated, for example. Has this happened in Thailand at all? 
Um, no. Um, in fact, I spoke with a, um, a physician at one of the uh, leading HIV centers here, and he told me that LGBT plus groups have always had access to um, free health care, including HIV medications in Thailand. Um, so during the lockdown, which in Thailand was not as long or as strict as in several other countries, um, these groups still had access to medication. Um, the only problem was that Thailand is also a hub for other countries in the region where these medications may be harder to get or where there is still a stigma attached to getting medications, for instance. Um, so he told me that, you know, clinics like his, they shifted um, consultations online and began to ship medications overseas where it was possible to do so. Um, and they will continue to do that because borders still remain closed um, in the region. Um, so they've all had to um, change their processes. But at least within Thailand, um, LGBT groups, while they have suffered from the uh, general uh, loss in tourism, because a lot of um, LGBT plus people are engaged in the tourism and hospitality industries, the entertainment industry. So they've definitely taken a, a bigger hit um, because of the coronavirus um, in terms of livelihood and um, income loss, but not in terms of being scapegoated or being um, targeted um, per se. Okay, so some a few negatives there, but mainly kind of positives for the LGBT plus community. But looking forward into 2021, as we're approaching very quickly, what are the issues we should be watching, do you think? Well, the civil partnership bill will continue to be um, an issue with um, LGBT plus groups pushing for marriage equality and pushing to get this bill passed quickly. Um, so that will still remain uh, an issue. Um, the protests are also expected to continue and um, LGBT plus groups will continue to be a part of these uh, protests. Um, and we'll have to see what the um, economic impact of the coronavirus is. Um, Thailand has seen the biggest contraction in its economy in the region as a result of the coronavirus because it is so dependent on tourism, for instance. Um, so LGBT plus groups have been pushing the government for uh, retraining, for instance, or for extra stimulus for the hospitality and ent entertainment industries. Um, so that will continue to be an issue next year. Rena, thank you very much for joining us as ever. And you can read more of our coverage of LGBT plus issues around the world on openly at openlynews.com now. Duval is an actor and filmmaker and her new film Happiest Season starring Kristen Stewart is in the news at the moment. A Christmas rom-com it sounds like your classic festive fair but this time with a contemporary twist. The story centres on a lesbian couple. Since it debuted a couple of weeks ago it's garnered record viewing figures on the Hulu streaming service and Jack Graham caught up with Claire for openly last week. How important a moment do you think this new film is for LGBTQ plus representation on screen? I mean, I think it's, um, it's huge, you know? I mean, I, in, in my lifetime, I've never seen uh, a movie like this be given the platform that this film has given. Um, and to see it embraced uh, so much from everyone, not only the LGBTQ community, but um, 
just general audiences as well, I think is really showing, it really shows, uh, you know, streamers and studios and networks that creating content like this is um, something that audiences are hungry to see. And why did you decide to make it a holiday movie specifically? Well, I love holiday movies and, uh, and I, but they, I've never really seen my experience represented in them. Um, so it really felt like a great opportunity to tell a universal story about, you know, going home from the holidays from a different perspective. And, and do you mind telling me a bit more about how the film was shaped by your own experiences of, of coming out, both kind of in the family and, and professionally in Hollywood? Were, were there particular aspects of the experience that you wanted to kind of shine a light on? Um, you know, I think in, you know, in terms of uh, the family aspect, I've spent the majority of my Christmases with other people's families. And I definitely think it's a very specific <laughs> experience. So, you know, that's where a lot of Abby was informed um, by that. And then, you know, I also, I came out to my mother in a very uh, dramatic fashion on Christmas day. So there's always that little connection there. And then, you know, I think, you know, being closeted is something that is, you know, it's a very painful experience and, you know, it, it really takes something, it takes a lot of strength to break out of that. And um, I really wanted to show that, you know, tell that, that story and also, you know, touch on this idea that it's in uh, Dan Levy's speech towards the end of the film, just about coming out and how personal it is to every person. You know, it's something that I hadn't really, you know, I hadn't really heard articulated until, you know, until this film. And even when I, it's something I never even really thought about until I was literally writing this speech and thinking about, you know, really the moment of coming out and what that feels like, you know? And so it really, you know, I, I was able to, even in the process of writing and directing this film, reflect on some elements of my own experience that I hadn't really reflected on before. And, and I was wondering, uh, I, I came across your work, um, most of all through Veep and your fabulous <laughs> character in Veep. And, and in that, coming out um, for, for, uh, for the president's daughter is not only a family issue, but it's also very political. And I was interested yeah. that, that you had the political angle in, in this, in, in the happiest season too. And was there, was there a broader point you were trying to make with that? It was really, you know, the ultimate, you know, for a family who is all about appearances, that is, you know, the, that is the ultimate stage for keeping up appearances, you know, in the, the political space. So it really was a way to um, kind of crank up the dial on Harper's anxiety in terms of, you know, holding back her true self because the stakes for her family were so high. And was there, were there any political points you were looking to make with that? Or was it very much more of a piling on the, the, the pressure on her? It, I mean, it was not, I, I was not passing judgment on anyone. You know, I really tried to, you know, I didn't want anybody to be the bad guy. I didn't want to vilify any of the characters, even though some of the characters absolutely do um, some very terrible things. And it's a very messy situation. I, you know, I really wanted to humanize everyone because it is, you know, it is a very human, all of these are very human experiences when we sometimes do not, 
lead with our best best selves, but it doesn't mean that with some reflection and hard work, we can't get there. And I was wondering, one of, one of the benefits of, of having the interview now is is, is we've seen some of the reactions uh, to the film. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if, if any of the reactions have been surprising. Um, kind of top of mind is, is, is among the positive reviews, there's, some people have said that this maybe uh, led people to relive their own trauma slightly as, as opposed to kind of the holiday escapism. Uh, some people yeah. kind of, especially uh, the, the event late on, uh, which is quite um, very dramatic. How do, you, yeah. how do you feel about those reactions? Um, you know, I mean, I think everyone, everyone's experience is valid, you know, and informed by their lives and, you know, their, their own experiences, good and bad. And it's, you know, it is, it is messy, you know, and I think it really is rooted in truth and reality. And I know that, you know, for sort of lighter movies don't really delve into, the reality of things as much, you know, but I think that, I think, I, I think that even though a story is difficult, does it, it, it doesn't mean it shouldn't be told, you know, and sometimes things hit us in ways that we don't expect, you know, I, I remember, you know, going to see the family stone, the, the Christmas after I had just lost my own mother to cancer and I did not know that was going to happen in that movie. And it was shocking to me, you know, it was really, you know, and I remember thinking that same thing of being like, what the hell are these people doing? They market it as this big, bright thing, but then this very serious thing happens. And, you know, I, I lost my own mother over the holidays, you know, the, the year before. So it was, it was a very true to life thing and something that a lot of people can relate to. And it was, you know, it was painful, it was difficult, but I was able to sit through that. And, you know, I've seen that movie several times since, and it's a great movie and it's so fun to watch. And, you know, I, I really, I actually really relate to the people who watch this movie and, you know, are struck by something that was very, you know, a difficult time in their life. You know, I, I have, I, I can relate. Right, right. And, and I was wondering with, with the film, um, while you were through, through the writing proce- process and also the directing process, what audience did you have in mind or in front of mind? Um, was it difficult balancing what you'd imagine uh, the LGBTQ plus community might want from the film versus straight audience members? Was there a balance to strike there? You know, I always, whenever I'm creating anything, I really just try to focus on telling the best story I can. And I don't think about the result because I feel like if you're, you know, if you're trying to, you know, play to, you know, a certain person or, you know, get a certain reaction, I, then it, it detracts from actually focusing on the work itself. Um, and you also can't really control what anybody else is going to think or feel about it. You know, all the only, the only piece I can control is the, you know, the amount of work I put into the film. So that's really what I, um, what I focused on throughout the entire process of this. Right, and, and and in that story, um, I, I must admit, probably my favorite character was was Dan Levy, uh, as yeah. the best the best friend that I think uh, everyone wants to have a, a friend like that, and, and as is uh, Aubrey Plaza also plays this wonderful kind of ally, and and how mm-hmm. what kind of uh, they seem to play a really important role, and um, the allies, especially I think when when there's a moment when uh, Dan Levy's character basically acts, realizes that he's not been empathetic enough, and kind of catches it out and, and apologizes for that. And how important was the role of being, of, of creating kind of really good allies in the film? Well, I think, you know, I think the, 
that was really wanting to include the aspect of um, the, you know, the community, you know, the LGBTQ community, um, because if they are such special friendships and special relationships and being able, I wanted to give that, you know, I wanted Abby to have a very good friend in her life, in her day-to-day -day life. And then when she got into the situation at, you know, Harper's families, I really wanted her to have, you know, a touchstone, a, you know, someone who she could, you know, some comfort for her in that situation, you know, because as a, you know, as a queer person and working so much in, you know, so often I am the only queer person on a set. And, you know, if there is another queer person there, I find that we are just drawn to each other like magnets because there is a shorthand there, there's a comfort there. And um, it's, it, it's always just a really special thing. And so giving Abby that and giving someone where she could talk to and a little bit of a break from, you know, the chaos of Harper and her family, I thought was really, um, was really important. And, and yeah, I, 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 you, you uh, preempted one of my questions really successfully there, which is what it was like to have lots of, uh, of, of LGBTQ past people on set. And I'm wondering how far you think we've come since uh, the kind of the cult classic, but I'm a cheerleader, which is uh, just over 20 years ago now. Uh, are you are you more comfortable in your role as an as a as an LGBT plus role model now? And and how far do you think we've come in in terms of uh, queer representation since then? I think it's definitely gotten a lot better uh, in terms of representation. I think there can always be more. There will never be enough. <laughs> you know, I think. But and I and I definitely think that studios and networks and streamers are really catching up to that. That you know that that con there is definitely an audience for that content, um, and you know it's it was really amazing being on a set with so many queer people. It was the most the I I can't I think maybe but I'm a cheerleader may have been the last time I was on a set with that many. LGBTQ plus people on it. And it was really, it felt really, really nice. And what do you think is next for, for queer representation in film? It seems like uh, this film may have kind of pushed open an area and maybe more space for, for representation in, 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 terms of, in terms of the kind of stories that might be told next. Uh, are you excited for the coming projects and what kind of things might, might happen perhaps as a result of this or separately? I mean, that I, I, I don't want to take credit for anyone else's um, art, you know, and I, I really believe that the, that it's, I do, I do think that this film doing so well, you know, it's definitely not going to hurt. I think it's, it's, def it's showing that, um, that LGBTQ plus stories can be mainstream. And um, I, I, and I really just hope that, 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 studios, networks, and streamers continue to give people like me the opportunity to tell their stories, you know, because there are so many, this is, you know, this is one of, you know, hundreds of thousands of stories that, um, that represent that, a version of the LGBTQ plus experience, you know, and I really, I'm really excited to see what movies come next. And going back to a point you, you mentioned earlier, um, how difficult was it to write um, for the kind of non-accepting family members 
in a way that the audience could empathize with them. There's certainly points where you kind of want to want to shake them. I'm wondering how how uh, how did you go about making them seem approachable uh, and, and trying to create a bond with the audience uh, rather than just vilifying them? I mean, you know, it was really just keeping them, you know, making sure that they were real people, you know, that they were three dimensional, that they, you know, that we really understood where they were coming from, you know, as we were creating them so that we could have compassion for their situation, you know, and that, you know, kind of giving them the benefit, benefit of the doubt, you know, that they were not just these hateful, horrible people, but that they were, you know, they were good people, but just had, you know, had never had their ideas challenged because they never had to, you know, I think there are a lot of people who, you know, don't have any gay people in their life or queer people, LGBTQ plus people in their life, or at least they don't think they do, you know, and so it, they never really have to reassess their feelings about it because they are, they're just like, oh, that's too bad. It would be better if you weren't that, you know, and then not really seeing what a gift that LGBTQ plus people are, you know, I think it's, you know. And I guess, I, um, I guess, spoiler, spoilers ahead, the, the, the transition um, of these characters is, is not like a process, right? It's, it's almost overnight that they suddenly realise that, that their daughter is queer and, 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 and suddenly change their mind. So I guess it's... I, I mean, I think for, I think for Tippers, for Mary Steenburgen's character, I do think it is, she is sort of jolted out of it very quickly. And, you know, but I think for Victor Garber's character, it is, um, it is a little more difficult. You know, he wants to, like, I mean, he says he wants to do better and it'll take time. You know, he understands that he's, you know, he's not going to get it right immediately, but he wants to work towards getting it right, you know, which is, I think, sometimes the best we can do, you know, that this is going to take me a minute to get used to it, but I love you. And because I love you, I am, you know, I want to get better at this, you know. And and I'm wondering, um, did you make a concerted effort to kind of stick to while, while, while making an original film, stick to somewhat the, the kind of traditional formula of a Christmas film and kind of turning that around to, to, make, to make it about, about an LGBTQ plus story. Was that, was that a kind of a major concentration that you wanted to make it feel like any other holiday film, but just happens to be that, that there are queer characters and, and, a, and a queer storyline? Yeah, yeah. I really, you know, I really wanted this movie to feel classic and familiar. And, you know, that I, the, my favorite you know, Christmas movies, Christmas songs are the ones that you feel like you've been watching and listening to forever, you know, that they, like, you can't remember a time that they didn't exist, even if you're seeing it for the first time. And I really wanted this movie to be able to um, exist in a similar way where it just felt warm and bright and familiar and, you know, like putting on a cozy sweater. Right. And obviously this year, Christmas is uh, it's a holiday. The holiday will be very different for, for lots of people. Um, yes. I, I wonder, does your perception of the film from when you first started coming up with the ideas and writing it compared to now when it's out, what what's changed this year, do you think, about the, the, the kind of the reaction to the film or the importance of the film in, in, in terms of this kind of uh, crazy and, and difficult year that, that everyone's had? I mean, I really think that, you know, after, 
after this year, I think, you know, we're all really ready to, you know, escape for a little bit. We're all really ready to laugh, to feel, you know, nostalgic, to feel warm. And, you know, this movie is really, it really does that. And there is a lot of hope to it. And there is a lot of, um, there is a lot of warmth and um, really just, uh, I think a great, it's a great time for this movie. And I'm wondering in terms of the film industry um, with, with all of its execs and, and, and companies, how, how important is it that this seems to have been from what, from what we've heard from Hulu in the last couple of weeks has been a huge commercial success. Is this kind of a proving not only the cultural model, but a, an economic model to show that, that mainstream queer films can be just as, just as uh, successful, if not more. Yeah, I do. I mean, I really, I think it, it does really, I think it does prove that. Yeah. Do you, are you hopeful that that will lead to kind of more commissioning? Cause it seems like it's still this being the first of its kind in the sense of a, a studio holiday film. Um, have you, have you had lots of reaction from, from say TV execs and, and film execs and others that, that might suggest that this is, potentially leading will lead to a, a far higher number of, 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 of queer TV and film. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I've, I'm seeing a lot of support and enthusiasm and um, people who are, you know, very eager to, you know, tell stories like it and stories that are not like it that are still, you know, that are, tell stories that that capture all different aspects of the lgbtq plus experience i just wondered um that that we've 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 obviously seen that there was a very large there, there was a large um lgbtq plus um uh number of people in the cast um obviously mackenzie davis herself is not queer um i was wondering where you stand on on, on straight actors playing playing gay roles which has been quite a big debate this year i don't think there's a blanket answer for it i think you know I definitely believe in casting gay actors and gay roles or queer actors and queer roles. Um, and I believe in casting the right person for the, for the part, you know, and in this instance, there were many queer actors who, you know, there were certain roles that it was very important to me to really, um, to have queer actors playing those parts and then other ones where it was really just these characters that had quality like very specific qualities I was looking for and you know you also don't know um you don't know what I I also don't know what people's private lives are like so you know in the case of um Mackenzie I didn't know you know how she identified so I you know when we when I offered her the part and um it was really just she had a quality that I was looking for and I really felt like she was the best person for the role and um and I still I still feel that way but you know I'm also an actor who is who's I'm a, a gay actor and I've played a great deal of um straight roles and gay roles and roles where you know the character sexuality never came into it you know I've done so many different things and um I you know and I and I want to keep doing that you know so I don't know if there's any one right answer 
You're listening to the podcast from Openly, the LGBT plus news site from the Thomson Reuters Foundation. That's all for this week, but do catch up with all this week's stories and more at openlynews.com. And do join me, Hugo Greenhouse, for another look at the week's LGBT plus stories at the same time next week. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Openly and be sure to like our Facebook page too. This episode was produced and edited by Christopher Johnson. And from all of us here at Openly and the Thompson Reuters Foundation, do stay safe and well and thank you for joining us.